The following is a conversation between Eric Weingartner, CEO of The Door, and Denver Frederick, the host of The Business of Giving. An organization that serves well over 10,000 young people who turn to it for support and connection every day has experienced significant disruptions from the COVID-19 crisis, just like the rest of us. It's called The Door. In what ways have they been able to reimagine their service delivery model to continue to provide these critical services, at least to the extent possible? To find that out, it's a great pleasure to have with us Eric Weingartner, the CEO of The Door. Welcome back to The Business of Giving, Eric. Thank you, Denver, for having me. It's terrific to be with you. Before we discuss the impact of the coronavirus, tell us about the organization and the work that you do. I'd be delighted to. So The Door is a really unique not-for-profit in New York City. We're headquartered in Western Soho on the corner of Broome and Sixth Avenue. And The Door is exclusively reserved to serve young adults between the ages of 12 and 26, most of whom are low income and at risk. And what's unique about The Door is that in one central location, we combine a lot of human services into a really thoughtful mosaic of programming. The big engines that drive the door include our commitment to healthcare, which is primary care, mental health, and family planning and reproductive health. We do major delivery of service in the workforce area with an $8 million budget connecting kids to jobs, internships, and sectoral training. We have a law firm within the door of 22 attorneys that focus predominantly on immigration cases, over 1,500 cases a year. We're the drop-in provider for homeless youth in Manhattan and see somewhere between 2,400, 2,800 vulnerably housed or homeless youth a year. We serve food all day, including dinner to anybody in the door who is hungry every night, 200 meals a night. We run big arts programs, big case management programs, And we have embedded in the door a high school, a charter high school called Broom Street Academy, which is the state's lone charter high school that's focused on serving kids who have a connection to the foster care system or are vulnerably housed or homeless. Mm -hmm. All of that as a bundle, Denver, is an operating budget of about $37 million. We touch the lives of about 11 to 12,000 kids a year with two offshoots from our campus in Soho. We run 100 units of supportive housing in the East Village for chronically homeless young adults. And then we have an employment center in the Bronx that serves about a thousand kids a year, connecting them to jobs and internships. All of that together is the door in our more traditional environment when we were operating under normal circumstances before COVID. We were enrolling between 30 and 50 new kids a day, and we'd serve anywhere between 1,000 and 1,200 kids a day at the door. So a pretty big and sizable shop that's a fairly equal blend between government and private money. Well, Eric, that is a breathtaking suite of services. So I have to ask, what has been the impact of having the door closed, at least physically closed, on the young people that you serve? By and large, you know, if you're a direct services organization, whether or not you're the door or one of the organizations across New York City that are wonderful and powerful and delivering primary direct services, it's impossible to have maintained the same operating model. The city has been very deliberate in saying that congregate programming is off limits. And so when we were having somewhere between 1,000 and 1,200 kids a day at the door, the door is not operating in that way. What has been Herculean and inspiring even to me as the leader of the door 
is how quickly we've pivoted. Of all the programs that we run, except for supportive housing, where there's no substitute for on-site present case management support for kids who are living in supportive housing, every department of the door has shifted to a virtual interface. We were able to, by and large, prop up every department of the door within two weeks of the city going into social distancing. In some cases, the programming remains very high volume and very robust. In some cases, the programming has shifted in a way where we cannot maintain the same level of, of productivity. I can give you examples of both. Um, I would like them. Yeah, go ahead. Give us an example of each. That'd be great. So of the two biggest engines that drive the door, one of them is healthcare. In a typical year, we have somewhere between 1,000 and 1,200 kids in clinical care on the mental health side. We've been able to prop up our telemedicine interactions with kids to the point that we have maintained and in fact increased the level of telemental health for the kids at the door. And we are actually serving more kids by telemedicine on the mental health side than we did in our current capacity before COVID. So that's the best case scenario. Where we're more challenged is we don't have dinner at the door every night. So Mm. hungry kids would come to the door every night for dinner. We cannot keep that type of family meal going. Secondly, a huge part of what the door does is job placement. We are continuing to do training. We're continuing to run high school equivalency programming. We're continuing to do some level of modified internships, but placement in retail, culinary jobs is just impossible. And so that has taken a hit and we are fundamentally going to be responsive to when the economy reopens, but it's very difficult to do job placement. I think the place where as an entity, we've had the biggest opportunity to keep the ship moving as normally as we possibly can is at our high school. We happened to have bought 18 months ago, a learning platform called Edgenuity, which we had to supplement the learning for high school kids at Broom Street Academy. So what we were able to do is when the mayor and the governor decided that schools would be closed, we were about a week ahead of the game and we've scrambled to get kids devices, both iPads and Chromebooks and laptops, so that we're now keeping between 80 and 85% of the kids at Broom Street Academy engaged daily Mm -hmm. in an educational platform that's managed by our teachers and supported by social workers and guidance counselors who are able to ensure that our kids are on task. For the kids with the risk profiles that are consistent at Broom Street Academy, that's been a Herculean task, and we're immensely proud of our kids and our staff, particularly our teachers, who've been able to keep kids moving and undoubtedly will through June. Yeah, that's great stuff, Eric. And I sort of hear you saying that once things return to a semblance of normal, you're going to keep some of these innovations in place to amplify your existing programs. Would that be right? I think it's right. I mean, we've been fortunate to be able to raise some relief dollars to support bigger technology platform than we had currently. When you're a direct services provider, you don't spend time, or maybe we should have spent time, thinking about what if the place closes, right? So (laughs) we are using technology very differently to keep kids connected. We're starting to enroll kids at the door using a virtual enrollment process, which we've never done before. Traditionally, if you wanted to be a new member of the door, you came in, 
you did an assessment with a social worker or an intern, you got a tour of the place, and then we connect you to the service. Now we're enrolling kids in the door from a distance. We should probably keep doing that. A lot of what we're doing on healthcare, both primary care, telemental health, we should keep doing. We should probably keep doing training online. So I don't think that we will, when we reemerge from this, cease being a direct services organization because mm -hmm. I don't think there's a replacement for that. And it's very difficult to create community online the same way as we do in a building of 80,000 feet where we have kids teaming throughout the place. Yeah. But without question, staff and the senior staff at the door are thinking about what elements of this do we keep to just augment and make more robust what the door is able to offer. Have you been able to have any sense of community that you've been able to keep? Because I do remember from our conversation, yeah. hanging out was a big, big piece of it. Despite all the programs, it was just a place for them to go. Have you been able to replicate that to some extent online? Yeah. Denver, one thing that I think is an interesting thing that I've seen and has really taken my breath away over the last bunch of weeks is it starts with the staff community. Hmm. So we had a virtual town hall for our staff and we have one every two weeks. And we're averaging 60, 70, 80% of the staff on those calls. The community of the staff of the door is incredibly tight. And so people are celebrating each other's work and coming together and supporting each other. And then that translates to the way that we think about providing service to our community of kids. So in some cases, parts of the door are keeping kids connected through arts and through classrooms and through mental health supports and stress relief and cooking classes and recreation classes. If you're working with a lawyer at the door on an immigration case, it tends to be one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. But in places where we have the opportunity to keep groups together, we're doing it. And, you know, between social media and the way we're accessing kids through technology platforms, we're able to keep some level of community together. Some yeah, things are just harder to do. We don't do dinner every night. And <laughs> no, you know. no, no. <laughs> so, you know, the other interesting observation I've had about staff is that I can see colleagues becoming much closer because we've always gone to work and in many instances, we have our corporate persona. But yeah. now we're inside people's homes. We're seeing their kids run into the picture. We're seeing their dogs and their animals. We're seeing what their den looks like and things of that sort. And we're beginning to get an appreciation of the challenges and, and their lives. And I think we're going to see people cover for each other and yeah. be closer and have greater empathy for one another than we did prior to this. Would that be yeah. the case with your guys too? I, I think without question. I mean, as the CEO, I sort of try to, to train myself to have it all be as professional an interaction with staff as I possibly can. But admittedly, you know, managing the door now requires all of our staff to be thoughtful of our colleagues as colleagues and friends in a very different way because people are dealing with stressors and yeah. unusual and just unimaginable challenges to be able to do the work in a new way, despite the fact that there are massive pressures with health and childcare and economics and just the stress of working with our population when they're getting such remarkable challenges amplified by COVID that the staff has gotten closer and it's become part of what's required to run a human services organization yeah. is that we have to take care of each other. Mm -hmm. And you know, I was on a call with my executive committee yesterday and our board chair, who's a remarkable guy called Mark Devois, you know, he just urged me to make sure that I am taking care of our staff as thoughtfully as we possibly can and go through the extraordinary things that we have to do to support people as human beings. 
and it drives our interaction. I mean, I've never more consistently started every meeting with saying, how are you before we get into work? <laughs> and meaning uh, it. Yeah, and really <laughs> meaning it, right. Really yeah, I mean it, yeah. They, they tend not to ask me how I am. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, I love the line by Mark Cuban, who said that the way organizations treat their employees and their staff is going to define their brand for the next decade. Now, he was talking about larger corporations, but I really thought that was a well-stated phrase of his, and I've taken that very much to heart. We talked about some of the challenges of the 11, 12,000 kids you serve yes. are having right now and how you're trying to help them, but you've always been good at looking around the corner and see what's coming. What yeah. kind of challenges do you think they're going to be facing in the next two years or so? So, and I know this will prop up our discussion about whether or not we're going to have the resources to do it. To the extent that people will listen to what I have to say, my mantra has been, yes, let's go as fast as we possibly can on relief, but let's not forget about the fact that recovery is going to be substantially more intense than relief and over a longer period of time. And when you think about all the ways that New Yorkers are living in this new universe, for kids that are low income and kids that have human resources challenges, this has just been remarkable. So when you think about how many kids are disconnected from school, disconnected from the labor market, mm -hmm. disconnected from primary care, mental health care, housing, they're all going to flood into an organization like The Door when we start to come out of our social distancing mode. And I am anxious about our ability to have the capacity to serve kids effectively at a new level of scale, which then sort of begs the question, will I have the dough? Will government have the will to hang in there? And you know, to the extent that we are involved in advocacy efforts, which is relatively substantial, that is our drumbeat, because there'll be both new needs and existing needs. If you think that a place like The Door puts five to 800 kids a year into jobs, so many of those kids are disconnected from them. We yeah. have to replace them and meet the needs of new kids that have lost their positions. Well, speak a little bit more about those fiscal challenges. How is your fundraising going? What yeah. have you seen from the government, particularly from the city of New York? And how is that overall fiscal health of the organization at the moment? So it's just knock on wood. To date, our foundation partners have been remarkable in that in general, where we had performance-based contracting that was difficult to meet those outcomes under a new condition, they've been relaxed in some ways and were pivoted to general operating support. That's been a game changer. The big foundations, Robin Hood, Tiger, Pinkerton, others have been leading and they've put their wallet where their mouth is and that's been inspired. I think that government is the wild card. In the last two days, the city has cut summer programs and notably cut summer youth employment. That is a big issue for us. We are going to, at the door, try to hang on to an SYEP infrastructure because it's so important to our mm -hmm. model, but that's now an unfunded mandate and we're trying to figure out how we can make it work. Though the impact to kids for losing something like summer youth employment, which works out to be up to three grand a year, three grand a summer, working over eight to 10 weeks, it's a major loss for kids, oh, yeah. both experientially and financially. Mm -hmm. And so obviously we will be advocating that government doesn't lose their nerve and keeps us at least whole, but probably has to do more. Because if they want us to lead on recovery, that's not gonna be made up if they cut grants. Mm -hmm. And so I'm anxious. We are partners with government, but I'm anxious about it.
Mm -hmm. Eric, talk to us about leadership in a crisis, what you have learned about yourself through this one, and the expectations that you think people are going to have of leaders in this sector in the future. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's pretty quick in a crisis. It's pretty easy to tell who really was mission driven and who wasn't. And I would be loath to talk about folks in the community who are not. What I can say is that at the door, our interim executive director, Peter G., the leaders of our divisions have been stunning. They are clearly mission driven. They are committed to our kids. They're committed to our organization. The same is true for our board of directors, to the principal of our high school and that board. I've seen that the commitment is real. And this is intense. And there is no getting around making it easier. This is very hard. It's much harder to run an organization from everybody's living room. We can't see each other the same way. There's a texture to the integration that is lost, but there is this commitment to see it through, but also not just to see it through, but to get ready to recover as an organization. And I don't like the idea of trying to pretend like there's an opportunity in a crisis. I think of it more as that there's opportunities to learn and evolve our organization. And I don't take any joy in what's happening, but I do see that the fabric that holds the door together is real and that from a leadership perspective, it's about supporting folks. It's about meeting folks where they are. It's about giving people the patience and space to be able to be vulnerable and to adjust the way that they used to work to make it work in a new environment. And that level of patience and persistence behind our staff is driving how we're doing things. Mm -hmm. Let me close with this, Eric. What do you think the impact of COVID-19 is going to have on the sector at large? First, how philanthropic organizations are going to go about their giving, and then also how nonprofits are going to have to operate in the future to survive and thrive. I think that the impact on smaller not-for-profits is going to be very different than what it'll be on bigger shops. Mm -hmm. I think that the smaller not-for-profits are going to have a harder time weathering this storm because if there are fewer number of funders and funding is impacted, I think that the not-for-profits that are smaller will probably play out as being more vulnerable. I think that when we come out of this into a recovery stage, I think both government and big foundation partners are going to realize that the organizational infrastructure that keeps places moving is something that people have to make this permanent investment in and that to leave us hanging in a year-to-year -year scenario where grants are maybe coming in, maybe not coming in, there's a level of partnership that probably should be exacerbated here uh -huh. uh, in a way that maybe it hasn't. And I guess what I'm saying is that I keep getting pleasantly surprised that when I get on the phone with our big foundation partners, that the commitment is more deep and more spirit of partnership than the relationship is allowed to evolve to be. And I yeah. hope that that sticks. I mm -hmm. think where government could probably do better is the balance in terms of that partnership has an opportunity to get even stronger. Because what we're hearing is that we're the social services arm for government. We could just as easily be government employees. But there is an opportunity, I think, for that partnership to rethink the way that they think together, strategize together, because this vendor payee relationship is probably long-term, 
proving to be out of whack. And I think <laughs> there's a right sizing of this in a way that could be really helpful. Yeah, very interesting. It is amazing at a time of crisis, people do crave connection. And when yeah. you go to them, they step up. They do not disappoint. We think yeah. they're going to disappoint, but they really rise to the occasion, which is yeah. just great. These are tough times for every nonprofit organization. Eric, what can listeners do to help support yours at this critical juncture? Well, listen, we would love for New York to more broadly become a partner of the door. And as you think about how to claw your own way back as a New Yorker, do it with the door. Go to door.org, www.door.org, and send us a check because we could use it and we'd love you to be our partner. It's a pretty remarkable place in that the scope of work that we do and the level of success we have across a variety of different disciplines is pretty extraordinary and we'd love for folks to be our partners. So check us out and if you could be part of it, we'd love it. I would agree with all that. You know, it's always a delight to speak with you, Eric, and I just want to let you know how grateful I am for you taking the time to join us today. Thanks and be well. Thank you, Denver, and the same to you.